0: You're listening to Christ is King, all of him in all of life, from Rivertown Church in Brattleboro, Vermont. This podcast is part of our ongoing mission to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus, for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. For more information, visit RivertownChurch.org. May the Lord bless you in the hearing of his word. Today, uh, is Church Planting Sunday, celebrated by Acts 29 churches across the world right now. And so I'll get into a little bit more at the end of our message what Acts 29 is. Uh, but before we ever formally affiliated with Acts 29, we've had it on our heart to be a church planting church. Church planting, if you're not familiar with the term, just means we go into an area where there's not a church or where the gospel is underserved and we make disciples and we see a new church form. It's what God did here uh, when we started this church in 2014. And some of you were part of that in the very earliest days. But it has been our heart to continue to be a disciple-making, church-planting church for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples everywhere. And it's only a fitting Uh, it's only fitting that coming off of celebrating the resurrection of Christ, where last week we were in John 20 and we were celebrating that Christ rose victoriously from the dead and that he's never to die again. And I want you guys to know I'm just as excited about the resurrection this week as I was last week. And we should be just as pumped to get into the word of God because church planting is the natural or supernatural overflow of the resurrection of Christ from the dead that in the end Christ will reign over all things and all things will be summed up in Christ and to him every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And our great privilege between now and then is to get to be a part of the work he's doing in the world to reconcile people to himself by the blood of Christ. Uh, So we saw last week that the resurrection is proof of this reality this inevitability that christ reigns over all he will reign over all death no longer has dominion over him and god has showcased proof of christ being the judge and lord over all by raising him from the dead he appeared to many of his disciples after his resurrection more than 500 at one time we saw last week and he gave them this commission That David read for us in the reading of the law so we're going to get to Luke 24 Matthew 28 Acts 1 we're going to see what Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven but to add color and understanding to what Jesus commands us as his disciples to do and to look at the church planting movement that sprung forth I want to go back and first look together no surprise at Genesis chapter 1 so we're going to start there, but before we do, I want to give you the, kind of the overarching idea of where we're going today, and then I want to pray for us before we get into God's word. So the main idea, this big picture takeaway for us today, is that God designed that his kingdom expand through multiplying disciples and churches. And each one of us plays our part as we are disciples of Jesus and as we make disciples of Jesus. So this is what God is doing in the world. He's expanding his kingdom through the multiplication of disciples and churches, and we play our part through our own everyday faithfulness as disciples of Christ, being and making disciples of Christ for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. Sound familiar? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we will dive in together. Father, you are good and your word is good. We praise you. We sing the mighty power of God. You're the creator and ruler of all. Lord Jesus, you are the worthy of the worship of everything that has breath. And so we pray that we would bring to you humble faith this morning, that you would lay our hearts open before your word and that you would speak to us as we open your living word and that it would be met by faith in the hearts of those who hear God, open our eyes to see you in your word. Open our ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. And I pray that you would give us uh, a hunger for you and a hunger to obey. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going on a, a topical journey this morning, looking at God's design for church planting and our role in it. So I want us first to observe God's design at creation. So if you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1. It's very first page of the inerrant, inspired Word of God. God's Word says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All of our worldview, everything you believe about life, the world, everything in it begins right here. That in the beginning there was God and no one else, nothing else. He is the creator who rules over all that he has made and everything that he made is accountable to him. Our function, our purpose in life, we exist because he made us and we exist for the reason he made us for. So this is where all of life began and where it still begins. That God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. Get this. And there was light. It says that God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And I don't want how remarkable this is. No matter how many times you've heard this before, you could get used to this. But I want you to catch this this morning. God created everything that you can see and can't see by the power of his word. He said it and it happened. It said, let there be light. And we know because if you know him and you know his power and you know his goodness, then of course there was light. But I want you to imagine being there darkness, void, nothing exists. And by the power of his word, the only one who's self-existent, the great uncaused cause says, let there be light and light springs forth. So this creation account, one of the main things I want you to see as we go through this is the sovereign goodness of God, that he is God alone and he is good. Jump down to verse 11 and the third day. It says, God said, 22, on the fifth day. So God is, all of creation is just pulsing with this life and the creative power of God. And there's plants growing up and they've all got seed nested in them that would fill the whole earth. And he creates animals in, that are swarming through the ocean and birds that are filling the sky. And verse 22 says, and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. So we're going to observe a couple of things from Genesis chapter 1, and then we're going on from there to God's work in the new creation. So at the outset, a few things I want us to observe before we move on to his creation of man. You've got the Spirit of God hovering over the darkness and the void. There is nothing, and the Spirit of God and life springs forth out of nothing. And the first living thing that God creates... It's a gift. Just see that? This gracious God. Verse 29 would later say that God gave them all these fruit-bearing trees for food. It was why he gave them to them so that they could have food and they could eat the vegetation and all of it was pulsing with life. Seed was nested inside of the fruit. That would be for filling and multiplying and providing for them and for their offspring. But before, before God ever created man, he created the gift that he would give him to provide for him. He, the provision was there before they were there. And so I want you to see in this the character and the goodness of God, that he's providing for man and what they would need before we ever even show up on the scene. And you can see this in Genesis 1 and 2, this picture of, uh, it reminds me of, a scene from the magician's nephew in Narnia where they come on the scene of a new world and Aslan starts singing and it's just this earth, this world is pulsing with life. And just anything that springs from it is just growing and multiplying, growing and multiplying. They bring um, this bar back from this land and plant it in their world and it grows into a lamppost because it was so full of life, so full of the youth of life. And you see that right here that The whole earth is just pulsing with life. There's fruitfulness. There's trees. There's animals that are fruitful and multiplying. And it says in Genesis 2 that God planted the garden. And then he made man and put him in it to work it and to keep it. But which happened first? Did God plant the garden or did man plant the garden? We're going to see this is part of God's design. He's showing us how he does things. God is the one who causes the growth. He planted the garden, he caused the growth, and Adam woke up to the work already being accomplished and he was invited to participate. This is how God does things. He builds, he plants, he waters, he causes the growth, and he invites us in to be a part of the work that he is doing. So the very first uh, thing that God creates is a gift and the very first command God gives is a blessing. Don't miss this. God, when he blesses all these living things, he's blessing them with the ability to reproduce and to multiply. That's how he's blessing them. So we see with the very first command, God enables what he requires. He says, be fruitful and multiply. But he doesn't leave them to figure it out. He gives them the ability to multiply. It's part of his blessing. And he says, I want you to go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So... Show and tell. You guys didn't see this over there, did you? So everybody knows what this is. This is an apple. But I want you to think about something very profound. The text emphasizes that God created the fruit bearing their seed. And over and over again, you read this. And it's an important fact. It says he he created these seed, plant-yielding seeds, right, It says trees bearing fruit in which is their seed over and over again, verses 11 through 13. And so what you had in the garden was trees that God had planted and inside of those trees was fruit that had the seed and the DNA of every fruit of that tree that would ever exist. So this apple descended from the first apple tree just like you descended from the first man. God created these trees and built in them life and the ability to reproduce. And so this apple falls to the ground and it dies. And what happens is it breaks open. And I can guarantee you inside this apple, there's seeds. You know how we know? So every apple you and I've ever opened or eaten before has seeds inside of it because God said when he created apples, he made them with seeds inside. Now that's important. Because if the apples didn't have seeds inside, we would cease to see apples on the earth because this is where apples come from. Apples reproduce because of the seed that's inside of them. God planted seeds in them. They fall to the ground, they die. If they didn't, they would remain alone. But if they die, boom, they bear much fruit and we see more apple trees. Now that's going to be important. But before we leave Genesis 1, I want you to see God gave the same design to human beings. And so you can look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. God said, "Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So God made man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them. Now what do you think that blessing is going to sound like? We already saw it with the animals. God bless them. And what does he say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's design was to fill the earth with his glory as he filled the earth with image bearers made in his image. So ours was to be a reflective glory. We were made in the image of God And we were going to fill the earth with the glory of God seen in the image bearers that filled the earth. Does that make sense? So God's glory would be clearly seen as his image bearers reflecting perfectly his glory filled with the spirit filled the earth. And the whole world would be filled with the glory of God seen in the image bearers that filled the earth and multiplied. So we know. In a massive plot twist that Adam and Eve did not want a reflective glory but an intrinsic one they did not want a reflective glory they wanted a native glory so the enemy comes in he causes just like he always does causes them to doubt God's word and say did God really say this God knows that in the day that you eat of this fruit of this tree that you will be like him but what he was tempting them they were already like God in a reflective way But they wanted to be like God in an intrinsic way. They didn't want to be ruled by God. They wanted to be God. And you can see this over and over again. Sin enters into the world and death through sin. And so death spreads to all men. And by Genesis chapter 5, the world is so wicked that God regrets he made mankind on the earth. And so he saves his redemptive plan through a man named Noah and the rest of the world experiences the wrath of god against sin and noah is saved through the ark which was a picture of christ when the ark sets down it lands as it were as it were in a new world there's a world that is again pulsing with life and god blesses him and gives him the command what do you think it is be fruitful and multiply noah Fill the earth and subdue it. I've given you dominion over all these things. And so there's this picture that we go through death in Christ into a new world and we are fruitful and multiply and again fill the earth with the image of God. And we see mankind messing this up again and again and again. So Genesis 11, seek to build a tower of Babel so that we can be God and reach the heavens because we want an intrinsic glory. We don't want a reflective glory. We want to be God. And so God scatters them, sets his plan on a man, and promises that through Abraham's seed, he would bless all the nations of the earth. And you fast forward throughout the whole story of the Old Testament, everything is pointing to the seed of a woman and seed of Abraham who would come and redeem humanity and restore the image of God to man. So we're looking at the redemptive plan of God through the, image, uh, through the lens of the image of God. God created us in his image, made us to fill the world with the image of God as we multiplied people. But the image of God was marred and distorted when sin entered the world. And we ceased to be a true reflection of the true image of God. And so what God was doing in sending Christ is restoring the image of God to man. Jesus came as the true image of the invisible God, and he came to redeem us out of our brokenness and to make it to where we could be forgiven of our sins and dwelt with the life of God himself and restored to that image. So this is the first part of this message is observing God's design at creation, but I want us now to glory at God's design fulfilled and restored in his new creation. His new creation. So that was we see it in his old creation how it was all pulsing with life and God was sovereign and He was working and we messed up His plan and God restored His plan in Christ. In Christ, God was bringing about a new creation, just as surely as Noah's ark set down in a new world and there was a new creation with a new mandate. Jesus is our ark and. When we die with him, we're raised to newness of life. He is bringing about a new creation. We saw this in our Advent series, how the book of Matthew, the beginning of the new covenant in the New Testament, says this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And that word for genealogy is Genesis. This is the book of the Genesis of Jesus Christ, saying in Christ, God is bringing about a new creation. Genesis, you have Genesis meaning the beginning, so you have the beginning of all things at the original creation, and now in Christ, God is bringing about a new beginning, a new creation. And Paul uses this language much in his writing to describe the work of Christ in redemption. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he describes Christ as the last Adam. So the first Adam is the head of humanity, and the last Adam is the head of a new humanity, Sin entered into the world through Adam and all of Adam's sons were born dead in their sin. And so there's a new Adam, untainted by the sin of man, who would be the head of a new humanity. He yielded to the father perfectly where Adam failed and stayed perfectly the true image of God. So Paul says that our coming to life in Christ was akin to God's work in creation. You see that? Yeah. We're talking about God saying, let there be light, and he's, he's driving it home for you right now. So God says, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse six, Paul says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So he's referring back to Genesis one. He's saying, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. In the chapter right before that he said that we all with unveiled face are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So this is the picture that God is giving us that just as in the beginning the spirit of God was brooding over the darkness and the void and he said let there be light and life sprang out of nothing the same thing happens over individual hearts that are spiritually dead in their sin and unable to come to life themselves. And the spirit of God broods over the darkness and the void of their heart. And he says, let there be light and life springs forth from the dead as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And Paul's writing, this this is happening to us that we are sanctified the same way that we originally came to Christ That we saw Jesus and he brought us to life by grace through faith. And now you and I are continuing to be transformed into the image of God, into the image of Christ as we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. As we go to his gospel and we behold Christ here, he transforms us to become more like Christ. He's restoring the true image of God to us. Paul, again, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Or you go to Titus and it talks about how he regenerated you, not by works that you've done in righteousness, but by the Holy Spirit, meaning he's making a new creation. Regenesis in your heart, saying in the beginning, boom, there's life. This is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 19 when he says, in the new heavens and the new earth, in the regeneration, when he comes to make all things new. That's what he calls it when he comes to sit on his glorious throne. It's the regeneration. And so there is this picture where we have at the outset of creation, him creating us in the image of God, us falling from that, Christ coming to restore us to the true image of God where he sums up all things in Christ and everything is made new and made whole where there is no sin, no suffering, no pain, no, no death anymore and there is Christ who is king over all and in all and he is bringing us there. He calls this the regeneration, the making of all things new, where we're ultimately going. And where he starts is the resurrection of Christ and him, by his resurrection, bringing new creations to life. He is bringing people to life by the power of his word. And it's what he is doing in the world, creating a new humanity. So this is what he's doing in our hearts. But we saw last week, it is incumbent on all of us who have been made alive by the seed of the gospel to bear the fruit of the gospel in our lives and to carry the seed of the gospel on our lips. So you can see this in Second Corinthians 5, that passage that talks about us being new creations. Paul says, The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So you know what this is? This is God was planting a garden before you woke up, before he ever created you. He was building his church. He was making things new. And you were dead in your sin and alienated from the life of God. We saw last week, hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind until God in his mercy woke us up and made us alive together with Christ. And as he wakes us up, just like he created Adam at the beginning, we woke up to a garden with work to do. He put us here to work it and to keep it. So the implications Paul's saying is he made you a new creation and he's entrusted to you the message of reconciliation. He, he's inviting you to participate in the mission of God in the world. He's inviting you to be a part of seeing people who are dead in their sins come alive in Christ and to be conformed to the image of his beloved son. That is what he's doing. That's what he wants to do with your life. And so I want to look at this entrusting to us the message of reconciliation as what he's doing in the new creation. This is what he wants from you for your life. That we, as we're being conformed into the image of his son and as we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, we have the great privilege of being entrusted with the seed of the new world. The gospel is the seed that contains the seed that contains the seed that when we scatter it broadly, we've got, Paul writes it this way uh, in Second Corinthians, that we have this treasure in jars of clay. That we have in our natural bodies this beautiful gift of the gospel. And we get to carry the gospel with us and scatter the seed of the gospel. And in us, this is miraculous that God entrusts this to us. We have the seed of the new world here and here. And he calls us to scatter it liberally for the glory of his name. This is what entrusting the message looked like in Luke chapter 24, the seed that Jesus was entrusting to his people. So Luke 24, Jesus says to them, Thus it is written the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So we've talked about this much. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus died, he suffered, and he rose on the third day. And so we must proclaim with that the response to the gospel that repentance of sins and forgiveness, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Of these things, you are witnesses. You want to trace those five things through the book of Acts. You've got the recipe for church planting. Go out and proclaim Christ, that he died, that he rose, that he is offering people everywhere opportunity to repent for the forgiveness of their sins. You are witnesses. This is your identity, beloved, as his church. You are witnesses of these things. But he adds, behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. You must stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So go back to Genesis 1. Jesus is saying, you've got the seed of the new world. Here is the seed, but remember, it's the spirit that broods over the darkness and the void. It's the spirit that brings life and vivifies, right? I I plant these trees and my spirit is what brings them to life. I formed the dust of the earth, but when God breathed into Adam, he became a life-giving spirit. And so this is the same thing that Jesus says in Acts 1-8 when he says, you're going to be my witnesses in your local place in Jerusalem and Samaria and in Judea and to all the ends of the earth. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So it's the same picture that we have at creation. The Spirit hovers over the darkness and the void. God speaks and life springs forth and it multiplies. And this is what he's called his church to, to do and to be. And so it says, continuing in Luke 24, Jesus led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. So this is the picture. Jesus rises from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples over the course of 40 days. He tells them, wait. Now, you and I would think, all right, let's get to work. Jesus is ascending. We've got work to do. He says, wait. You need power. You need the Holy Spirit. We cannot make disciples or plant churches apart from the power of God's Holy Spirit. Even if you've been discipled by Jesus himself for three years, you need to wait. You need the power of God's Holy Spirit in you, blessing the scattering of his words so that life springs forth. But we saw last week The Holy Spirit can take people from being traitors who are cowards hiding behind locked doors in an upper room to at Pentecost being poured out and all of a sudden Peter who was denying Jesus to a little girl is standing up before a whole city and saying this Jesus whom you've crucified God has made Lord and Christ and he's declaring that everyone everywhere should repent and people are pierced by the seed of the word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and what happens life springs forth 3000 people are saved in a day and there's a church so this is this is the blessing that Jesus gives to his disciples here's I'm trusting to you the message of reconciliation wait for the coming of my spirit and he blesses them remember in Genesis chapter 1 what was his blessing every time he blessed the animals he blessed the people what did he say to them be fruitful and multiply And so we have this blessing nested in Matthew 28 that David already read for us. Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. So, Wait for my power and my presence. And then once I send forth the promise of my father, go and be my witnesses with the seed of the gospel. He doesn't just call us to make converts. This is maybe a a misconception of what happens with missionary activity as if we're going to go overseas or go to a new town and we're just going to make disciples and we're just going to win people to Christ, but we don't really know if a church is going to form But that's what a church is, is when we go into a place, we plant the gospel. Church planting is kind of a misnomer. We're not planting churches. What we're planting is the gospel. And when we plant the gospel, the spirit of God brings people to life and a church forms around baptism and the Lord's table. There's a covenant community that springs forth. This is what Jesus has in view. That's why you have Jesus blessing them, saying, go and make disciples. And what happens is not just a a widespread series of individuals all coming to Christ. In the book of Acts, you see a church planting movement where the gospel is planted and churches spring up in all of these different towns and cities so that by the time Paul's being imprisoned on his missionary journeys, he's writing letters to all these local churches that is formed because the seed of the gospel was planted and fruit sprang forth. This is why Ephesians 1, Paul paints this picture of as he's praying for them to understand the hope of our calling, and he's describing to them what Christ has done He says at the ascension God put all things under Christ's feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church which is his body. Get this description of the church. The fullness of him who fills all in all. How is the church the fullness of Christ? But remember God's design at creation was to fill the earth with image bearers and and in so doing fill the earth with the glory of God. And so God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. He's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation so that with the seed of the gospel, we would see people being conformed to the image of Christ and filling the earth with disciples of Christ, filling the earth with churches formed by the gospel so that all the disciples needed was the gospel of God and the spirit of God, and we would see the the whole earth filled with the glory of Christ as people are being conformed into his image. So that's what God is doing in the world. That's how he's using church planting to do it. He is fulfilling his original design of filling the earth with his glory through his image bearers. We failed. Jesus succeeded. He overcame. He's restored us to himself, and now he calls us, go and be ministers of reconciliation. You've got the power of God and the gospel of God to see people come to life and to see churches formed in his name. So what's our part? So God's design at creation and his design fulfilled and restored at the new creation and now our part or the implications on us of planting churches together I want to encourage you at the outset before we go from delighting in what God's doing in creation and in new creation to like, all right, let's get to work. Remember the wait. Wait until you've been clothed with power from on high by the Spirit of God. And remember how when God created Adam, he created him last. Make sure you catch that. He didn't create Adam first and ask for his help in creating everything. He created everything and then invited him into his creation. Adam's first full day that he enjoyed was a day of rest with God. And so before you go into full-blown Martha mindset, like, all right, he said to make disciples, I've been disobedient in this, let's go get it. Remember where your power comes from and remember the seed of the gospel and that Adam woke up to the work having already been accomplished. Jesus has already accomplished redemption and now he is applying it by his spirit and this is a miracle. He's invited you into the work. He's invited you to play a part. This is the purpose of your life, is to magnify Christ in making disciples. So here's a question for us. We have the same commission that the disciples had, right? The same spirit and the same seed. And yet, if you look around Brattleboro, it's a spiritual wasteland. It is largely spiritually dead and desolate and if you look around at new england new england we're on average two to three two to four percent bible believing gospel proclaiming christians you've got whole towns without a gospel witness my good friend david pinckney you have probably heard me mention him before he's a pastor in new hampshire he, he's mapped this out in new hampshire there's 60 towns in new hampshire without a gospel witness I don't know what the number is in Vermont, probably similar. Entire towns that don't have a witness to the gospel of Christ. And as believers who have the gospel, that should bother us. That should burden you. That should keep you up at night and occupy your prayers because Christ is worthy of the worship of everybody in New England and everybody in the world. And there are people who don't know his name or have a misperception about it because they went to some church that wasn't preaching the gospel growing up and they got hurt, and so they've rejected Christ out of hand. And we have the seed of the new world. We have the seed that we're not, there's no other solution. Nobody else is coming. We are God's plan for all things in Brattleboro and in New England being summed up in Christ for all things being reconciled to Him and bowing before Him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It will happen. And He's invited us into this garden He's planted. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I am building. And we get to be a part of that. But it takes eyes of faith. And our greatest obstacle to this is to either get dejected with the progress of him building his church or his progress in us and then to divert our eyes from Christ to our world our circumstances instead of being about our father's business in making disciples of all nations starting with my neighbors and my brothers and sisters in this church so We know that the gospel is the seed of God. Paul talks about it in Colossians 1. He says that the gospel is the word of truth. It has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It's bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you. It's continued to do. You heard the gospel. You came to life. And you are continuing to be sanctified in the truth of God's word through the gospel. It is the stuff of this pulsing life. That where the gospel scatters, Jesus brings people to life. Don't lose faith in the power of the gospel to bring people to life. Think of the people in your life that are the farthest from God. The gospel of Christ has the power to take them from hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds to Son of the Most High God, filled with the Spirit of God, endowed with eternal life and entrusted with the message themselves. So you have this picture of the apple falling to the ground, new seeds being scattered, new trees being born, and there's a whole new orchard of what God is doing from the explosive power of the gospel. And you have it in you. So I'm, I, I started this to read it to you because I don't want to mess this up. This is, I want you to lean in on this. Church planting is not to be a passion of the pastor's or the passion of a few. It is our collective aim for the glory of Christ. It's it's the natural outcome of our collective faithfulness in discipleship and our collective zeal for Christ to be known and worshiped and obeyed where he is not named. So you as a disciple of Christ love him. You want him to receive the worship and the glory that he is due in all the places of the world, and it drives you to obey him and making disciples of all peoples. And if this is not important to you, then examine yourself and see whether you're in the faith. Because Jesus has put a motor in the hearts of his people to know him and to make him known. Now, we can be unhealthy. We can have that desire cooled. And that's why we have to gather together to flan the flame in each other so that You catch heat from my coals and I catch heat from yours. And we get after it afresh to say, Jesus, my life exists to magnify you, whether in life or in death. I want to make disciples of Christ with the gospel. And I want to see God use my small life to expand his kingdom through being fruitful and multiplying. Now, listen to this. We are not going to grow and multiply organizationally if we are not growing and multiplying individually. So we will not be a church planting church if you are not a disciple making disciple. I think we all want to be part of a church planting church in theory, or at the very least, if you haven't thought it through that far out, you want to be part of a church that's growing. You'd like to see people being baptized you want to see you don't want to come and see less people than they were here before. you actually have a desire to see people being faithful and coming to worship God together, but that doesn't happen apart from the proper working of each individual part that's what Paul describes I, I don't have time to read the whole thing, but you can go to Ephesians four. write it down Ephesians 4 11 through16 talks about how God gives leaders to the church to equip you for the work of ministry that is your ministry and we lead you in the work of making disciples and building each other up in love and the whole body grows there's languages language like this into mature manhood no longer children growing up in every way into him who is the head who is Christ the whole body grows when each part is working properly and it builds itself up in love this is a phrase that i want you to hear from that passage no longer children Now, it's pretty well documented. I have a lot of children, so I understand this. If I have a two year old acting like a two year old, that's to be expected. If I have a nine year old acting like a two year old, we've got a problem. And so the question is how old are you spiritually? And does your spiritual maturity match your age? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of Christ? He is the fullness of joy, He's the reason why you're alive. If the devil can't deceive us or make us fall into some gross sin, he'll just distract us and make us waste it. So the question is, are you being easily tossed about this news article, this social media thing, this thing at work, this life circumstances? Guess what? Those things are just going to keep on happening all the way until Jesus comes back or you lay yourself in the grave. So the question is, what are we going to do? about the commission that we've received from our master. Everybody knows what it's like to be beset by some ailing body part, right? You don't appreciate the fact that you don't have turf toe until you have it, and then you really wish that you didn't have it. You don't appreciate the fact that your legs are working properly until you broke one, or you hurt your riding hand, and all of a sudden you appreciate the parts that were working properly. But this is the same thing in the church, You might not appreciate it when all the parts are working properly, but when you're not here or when you're not exercising the gifts that God's given you, the whole body feels it and it keeps us from growing up together into maturity. So the picture, if you look at the natural order, we're trying to grow up from toddlerhood through adolescence, through puberty, all the way into maturity. God bless us, right? And we might have some kind of like teenage stuff going on. But we're trying to work our way to a reproductive age where we can multiply what is healthy. Now the problem is unhealthy things multiply too, or they can see prior two years with COVID. So we want to multiply what is healthy. And so this is the vision that I want to paint for you and where we've been working towards the whole time. What God is doing in the world is filling the earth with the image of Christ as he conforms his people to Christ's image and as we multiply disciples who will also reflect his image in the world. That is what he's doing. So you want a vision for your life. You want your life to count. You want your life to matter. Then we are called to magnify Christ individually and collectively as we grow in the grace and knowledge of God, as we grow to know and enjoy Christ and he forms his heart and his character in us and we become more godly and grow up into maturity, our lives magnify Christ. These people see Christ in us. And then we want to be healthy organisms, multiply. This is what we do. We want to grow and we want to reproduce ourselves. Remember, when God says to be fruitful and multiply, he gave them the ability to do it. This is not him saying, go make disciples. He's saying, go make disciples and I am with you. He gives us the ability to do what he commands. But this is what healthy disciples will do. Healthy cells grow and then they multiply. We don't use the word split in churches, right? So that healthy cells grow and then they multiply. And then guess what those cells do? They grow and then they multiply. And it sounds a little bit like the things that you've heard and seen in me and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And we have this cascading waterfall of God's goodness of disciples growing up into maturity and multiplying. Growing up into maturity and multiplying until the church grows up that the church that's comprised of those individuals grows up into maturity and multiplies. And we have the planting of churches through the growth and multiplication of disciples. And so when we read about in Jesus's parable about the weeds coming up and choking out the word or the cares of this life coming in, choking out the word in your own life, I want to make sure that you're thinking about this corporately and not just your own life. So the trials that happen in your life, the things that are, prone to distract you away from a pure discipleship towards Christ or a growth in Christ, those don't just affect you, they affect the whole body. When, when the cares of this life, when, when your circumstances start to feel heavier to you than Christ and they lead you away from Christ, that affects the entire body. It affects us growing up into maturity. It affects our growth and multiplication as disciples and our planting of churches. I'm having to skip stuff because I'm running out of time. When your circumstances weigh more than Christ. I think the question is, what, what has more mass in your life? What has more weight? Do your circumstances weigh more to you than the glory of Christ? If so, your life will revolve around your circumstances and your kingdom. But when we have eyes of faith and we see, we have this Copernican revolution where we realize that life does not actually revolve around the earth, it revolves around the sun, then all of a sudden we can deal with the circumstances and the trials of life because our life is Christ and our mission is Christ and we know he's using all these things in my life that I once begrudged or caught so much of my attention actually to conform me into the image of Christ and to accomplish his purposes. I saw this with the apple tree that I had in the backyard at the time. And I'm pretty sure it's dead now. But at the time, Hannah Seneca told me it was not dead. I need to have her come check it out again. She said, no, this tree just needs pruning and fertilizer. And I think, That's a pretty good picture of the Christian life, pruning and fertilizer. So it could be that a lot of the things in your life that you begrudge or that distract you away from Christ are actually God's tools of making you more fruitful if you had eyes to see it. So you might see a fruitless tree in a mess when you look in the mirror and God sees an orchard. So that, the seed of the gospel that's been planted in you would scatter from you and there would be a multiplication of disciples and churches for the glory of God. This is what church planting looks like for all of us. Not every one of you or even half of you are ever gonna plant a church, like be a lead pastor and go out and start a church like Corey and I set out from Georgia and North Carolina to plant here. Maybe not most of you. God, I hope some of you I hope some of you would catch a vision for this for your life and say, wow, the best way of the gospel making inroads into a community is to go in with the gospel to the planet to see a church form. And that church needs to be shepherded and God, I'm willing, here am I, send me. I pray that if that is you, that a burden for a town or an area without the gospel would keep you up at night and you would know. But there are other ways that you can be involved in church planning. I'm going to give them to you in quick order. One, be a disciple who makes disciples of Jesus. That's what we say we want to do and be as a church. You want to contribute to the overall planting of churches, then be a disciple of Christ yourself. Grow into conformity in the image of Christ and then multiply yourself so that there are more disciples to plant more churches. Two, you can pray. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He is the Lord of church planning. He's the Lord of Brattleboro. The fields are ripe for harvest, despite what you think that you see with your eyes. He says, there are people there ready to be picked for the gospel and pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. In our unbelief, we think that we have more laborers than there is fruit in the field. God forgive us. What we actually need is more laborers. And more obedience among the laborers. Because the fields are ripe for harvest. And he says, pray to me. So we pray. We pray for more laborers. We pray. We know that the spirit of God can do what we cannot do. And so we pray for him to bring people to life where there is none. Three, we give. At least 10% of every dollar that's given to this church goes to the work of church planning. It goes to our partnership with Acts 29. It goes to the Village Green Collective that I'm going to show you a brief video on, and it goes towards planting churches abroad. So this is how functionally, collectively as a church, we are part of what God's doing in the world in church planting. We planted this church, we've wanted to send out church planters from this church, and in the meantime, that's not going to keep us from obeying. We've linked up with Acts 29, that probably has, oh I pulled some stats for you, over 700 churches in nearly 50 countries. So any given Sunday, there's Messages going out in 30 different languages. Last year, we saw 7,500 conversions in Acts 29 churches globally. Just last year, 58 new churches in the network. Over 30 of those were church plants. And there's hundreds of men in the pipeline training to plant more churches. This is a healthy, healthy thing to be a part of. You have more information about it in your seat. Right now, we are also partnering with mission partners uh, to plant churches in southern India, in a closed country in the Middle East. We've got a church plant that we're partnering with in St. Albans, Vermont, and soon in Mongolia. We've got churches that we're a part of helping to plant everywhere. But we can't be obedient out there and not right here. And so um, this has been my prayer for us. This is, I was originally gonna go and do a case study on church planting from Acts 16. And I thought, you know what? I'm not preaching to a group of church planners. I'm preaching to our church. And I don't want church planning to feel like something that you agree with that's out there, but something that's right here. where You grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You show up for your brother and your sister. You show up at your discipleship group. You show up at your MC. You show up at Sunday gatherings. You grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You bear one another's burdens. You love one another, encourage one another, all of it is working towards the building up of this church into maturity so that we can multiply what is healthy. And so I pray that if you walked in listless or tired or dry or confused, that God would vivify your heart by His Spirit and give you this vision, oh yes, I wanna be making disciples of Christ so that the whole earth can be filled with the renewed image of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus everywhere. That's what he's doing. And he woke us up to play a part. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you have made a way for peace with God by the blood of your cross. And you've invited us into being ministers of reconciliation to go around our world pleading with people to be reconciled to God. Father, you made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in you and so that we might proclaim to the world around us that there is a righteousness that you have manifested apart from works of the law, the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. I pray that you would renew our church's passion to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus, for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples, as we are faithful here, that we would become a church that grows up into a reproduction age and that we would make disciples and plant churches. Lord, help us. We want to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.